It's a pleasure to be here with you today in the house of the Lord so that we can worship together and we'll spend a few moments at this time studying God's Word together. It's my prayer that what we talk about today is going to be helpful to you. Very appreciative for Justin and his prayer this morning, not just for his prayer on my behalf, but many of the things that he prayed will go and directly relate to our study this morning. And so I'm continuing my series of the Sermon on the Mount, and I've come to chapter 7. This is a series of teachings about the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus pronounced the gospel, he was announcing the kingdom of heaven, said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so as we come to chapter 7, we come to maybe one of the most famous words of Jesus, the most famous phrase of Jesus, or maybe infamous because it's famous for the wrong reasons. And we see judge not is the the subject this morning. So chapter 7 verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged. So these are some of the most misused words of Jesus, I think. And at first glance and at first appearance, it, it looks like we're disqualified from pronouncing judgment on someone or their actions or the way that they live their life. As people often quote this, it's more of like, I'm defending my actions. Hey, who are you to judge me? I'm living my own life here. Why why have you got to come and and judge me? Who are you to judge? And so we see this often, maybe when confronting someone else, or whenever we're debating specific uh, issues of the day. And really, as we talk about the subject of judgment, it is one that we should approach with seriousness. Because uh, as, as Jesus approaches this subject, we'll see that He instructs us to approach it through the lens of the kingdom and of the golden rule. And so we're going to take a look at judgment, take a look at it in its context here, and see what Jesus says about it. So, like I said, I think we ought to look at this in the context of the Sermon, of the sermon on the Mount as well, and the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. So as Jesus began His ministry, this was His announcement And in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he gives us Jesus' teaching about what the kingdom of heaven is, about the people who make up the kingdom, and how many of the things in the kingdom have an upside-down logic of what is is natural to us as humans. And so we get this upside-down kingdom. And so in, in part one, we talked about true blessing, what it means to be truly blessed by God. Those who are part of the kingdom have true blessings and true life found in God, and we discussed the Beatitudes in that study. Part two, we talked about what it means to truly fulfill the law. Jesus showed us that we ought to be following the law with our hearts. The third study, we talked about practicing heart-based religion in our giving and our prayer and our fasting and doing those things for God's glory and not our own glory. And then we talked last time we talked about what has our affections, what has our attentions. And if we place that On the kingdom, we'll find that our anxieties start to disappear because we place our trust in God. And so as we come to the subject of judgment, I think we ought to be looking at how Jesus' teaching is different from our typical logic. And I think He shows that very well in His teaching here. And so we're going to see that this is more about helping a brother or sister than it is about pointing out people's flaws. And Jesus is going to show how we ought to deal with other people, how I ought to deal with myself, and then ultimately deal with people who are outside of the church. As we look at the word judgment, there, it's, or judge, it's used in a lot of similar ways that we use it today. If you look up the Strong's definition, you'll see some of the same ways 
that we use this word. And so when we think about judgment, we think about drawing conclusions uh, about someone or, or something based on appearance or maybe trying to call someone's motives into, into question. We see it used in the Bible in various different ways as well. In Luke chapter 7, verse 43, as Jesus is talking to Simon, he gives him two options and he says, pick which one is, is the right answer. And he says, you have rightly judged. You have rightly chosen between those two. It could simply mean that you decided something. We talk about making a judgment call, weighing two options and, and doing what seems best to us. And so in Acts chapter 20, verse 16, it said, Paul ha had decided to sail past Ephesus. He made a, a decision there. We also know this has a judicial context, like a court of law. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, this word sue, if somebody wants to take you to court, it's the same word judge. And then ultimately, it also can mean condemnation, as we see it translated in John chapter 3, verse 18. And so as we look at all the many definitions of judgment, we make judgments and judge on a daily basis. And so Jesus surely isn't forbidding us from doing all these things that would make life impossible. But if we look at his teachings, we'll see that, in, in fact, judgment and proper judgment is necessary in the life of a Christian. So what does Jesus mean? Well, let's let Jesus define what he means. In Matthew chapter 7, we'll read verses five, uh, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with, what, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So thankfully, with a lot of these verses, we, we have some immediate context in what, what Jesus means when he says, judge not. So there, there is a con certain context in which saying judge not is true. That, that is accurate. But Jesus here is showing the importance of judgment and how we ought to properly judge one another. And we'll see that the action of judgment for somebody who is in the kingdom, who lives in the church, who follows Christ, looks much different than the judgment in the world. And as we look at other famous verses and passages about judgment, I think we can see echoes back to Jesus' te teaching here. And so on the surface, we might feel a little bit of tension between you know, we've got lots of different meanings for, for judgment. We've got Jesus saying, judge not, but then he goes into this further explanation. And so I think as we study through this morning, we'll be able to better understand this and pinpoint what is proper judgment and what is not proper judgment. So we're first going to take a look at how not to judge. We have to look at what is improper judgment, because in these, this passage, Jesus defines that for us. And so there are ways where it is sinful for us to pass judgment on other people. And whenever I judge improperly, we'll find that you not only damage your influence, but you damage your reputation and you damage the reputation of the church. And so the first thing that we can conclude is that hypocritical judgment is something that Jesus does not allow. It's sinful for us to come and have hypocritical judgment. Being a hypocrite is something that he's already preached about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's something that he gave sharp rebukes to the Pharisees for. And so what we can see here is he's, he says, the standard that I put on somebody else, that's going to be measured back to me. And so I better make sure that I'm living up to that same standard. In addition, in addition to that, I've got my own problems that I've got to work on and deal with. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 through 3, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. 
So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. We got a great lesson last week from Brother Justin on Matthew chapter 23. We'll obviously have a lot of overlapping uh, in that uh, this morning, but this is the judgment that we're kind of typically used to, right? Of someone coming to us or, or coming to someone and there's a hypocritical nature to that. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They would bind burdens on other people. They would preach but not practice it. They would bind burdens on other people and then not do anything to, to lift those burdens for themselves. And they emphasized the less important matters of the law so that they could look religious. And so as we think about hip, hypocrites, tip, typically people have no tolerance for a hypocrite. And everybody can see when someone's being hypocritical. I mean, we can probably all think of somebody at work or a boss that you've had that pretty accurately fits this description. They bind heavy burdens on other people, but they themselves aren't really willing to do any work. I've heard that as a boss, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. And so it's not the things that I say, but it's the actions that I do. It's the things that I allow to happen. So if I hold people to a specific standard, I better be meeting that same standard. I've noticed this from time to time as a parent. It's easy to find yourself being a hypocrite at times. And maybe you found yourself in the same situation where, so Boyd and Bodie start getting into an argument and voices get louder and louder and then they start yelling at each other. And I say, boys, stop yelling at each other. Right away, I see the irony in my instruction to them. So as Justin prayed this morning, it's not about the things that we preach, but it's, it's just as much or more about the things that we do. And specifically with children, they're watching more of my actions than they are what I'm preaching to them. Romans chapter 2, verse 21 and 24. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. So the problem that comes with hypocritical judgment is that it keeps others from the kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 23, this is something Jesus said about the Pharisees. You keep people from entering the kingdom because of your attitude and, and your actions. And so in my hypocritical judgment, I can turn somebody off to the gospel in a heartbeat. It immediately destroys my credibility. Maybe, I feel like probably all of us have heard this before, and, and somebody who has a problem with church and has a problem with coming to church, well, they say, well, that's just, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. They've all got problems. And the point here is that we have to recognize our own faults. We recognize that we have problems as well. And Jesus uses this hyperbole example here of, I've got this beam sticking out of my own eye. I've got my own issues to deal with, while my brother has this tiny speck. Everybody can see it, but I choose to ignore it because I'm holding myself to a different standard. We ought to acknowledge our faults, and specifically the church is a place where we can come together to improve on our faults. The second way that we are not to judge is by condemning others. We talked about this being one of the definitions of, of judgment. At times, we're tempted to pass judgment on others, maybe by the way they look, by the way that they live their life, or by looking at their actions. And one thing that the Bible is clear of is that this is not our place. This is up to God for Him to 
condemn others in their actions. And ultimately, it's God who knows people's intentions and their hearts, and it's not us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. I find it just a little bit humorous in the way that Paul is saying this because he's saying, I really don't care what you might think of me or, or if I go to be judged by a court of law. In fact, I'm even careful about judging myself because God's ultimately the judge. He's ultimately the one that I have to answer to. And so it's not my standard. It's not your standard. It's not the standard of the world or some human court, but it's God's standard that I will be judged by. And so God judges us, He judges our actions, and He judges our hearts. And He's one day going to make all the intentions of my heart known. You know, often we think, we look at somebody else's situation and we think, well, I would have never made that mistake, or how could they make that mistake? And I think as humans, we're actually really bad at determining people's intentions or understanding people's mindset. It's very easy to jump to conclusion, to conclusions and to judge people's hearts. And even worse, maybe I make a a judgment of condemnation on someone, trying to decide if if they're going to go to heaven or hell. And that's not my place. Ultimately, that's up to God. But I think one thing for us to understand is that each decision and each action is made within a certain context, within certain environmental factors. One thing we've been talking about at work recently as, as it regards to safety is that context drives behavior. So essentially, the things that surround you, the situation you find yourself in may drive you to make a poor choice and may make a poor choice uh, easier to make. So for example, in my own life where I didn't take safety home with me, I was doing a very small project, creating a little spice rack for our baking center where we'll keep all our our great spices for the, the cooking that we do. Just a little wood shelf with three tiers on it uh, so that we can better organize our, our uh, baking center. And so I had a jigsaw out, and I was using my safety glasses. I was, I was all good to go, but I measured wrong. And so when I got in the house, it didn't fit correctly, and I had to go back outside. Well, I left my safety glasses inside, and I just had two cuts to make, so I did those real quick, and sure enough, I got sawdust in my eye. Well, I cleared that out pretty quick, but later that night, for some reason, when I laid down to bed, something shifted, and I, all of a sudden, I was in agonizing discomfort. It wasn't painful, but it was very uncomfortable. And, you know, I'm just like sitting here, and you can't do anything. It's just, I'm focused on this problem. Avery's like, what, what in the world's matter, the matter with you? And I could literally do nothing until I got that fixed. And so the point is, the context that drove me to make that decision is, I was trying to get something done faster. And so by not grabbing my safety glasses and taking them with me, I put myself in a scenario where I was more likely to make a bad decision. And so if we think about this, I may be tempted with things that you don't struggle with. For example, I'm not tempted by alcohol. It's not something I've ever struggled with. But 
If I look at somebody and immediately judge them based on my context and the things that I've known, well, then I'm likely to uh, presuppose some things that are incorrect. I mean, what if they grew up in a, in a home where that was the norm? Where drinking alcohol was the norm, getting drunk was the norm. Or maybe someone who has had a, a past uh, experience with drinking or getting drunk. That's two very different scenarios for me and the other person. And so we ought not to pass judgment on one another, but instead show compassion to one another. Try and seek to understand one another. But instead, sometimes we choose to judge others and talk behind each other's back. And so the third way that we often judge incorrectly is by speaking evil of your brother, or speaking evil of other people. So in this chapter here, one thing in chapter 7, what Jesus is telling us is you go to that person and you help them get their problem fixed. He is instructing us to do that. Similarly, in chapter 18, he talks about if someone has offended me, I should go to them directly. I shouldn't go behind their back and talk to someone else. But instead, sometimes I come over here and I say, hey, Jason, um, I'm really concerned about Brooke here lately. I mean, I found out last week that he sleeps with his socks on. <laughs> Can you believe that? And maybe that's a pretty silly example, but sometimes it's frivolous things like this that get us all riled up and we start talking behind people's backs. And you can insert whatever problem that you see, you think you see with someone else there in that scenario. James chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. As we talk behind other people's back and we judge other people, this is one of the most destructive things that we can do, specifically for us as a family, as a, as a church family here. I can get so wrapped up in focusing on everyone else's problems so that I can distract myself from my own problems. And so we become a, a busybody where I'm worried about everybody else instead of worried about myself. And when we judge like this, we remove our compassion for our brother. We remove the mercy in our heart for them. Ultimately, this leads to strife and divisions. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So this is one of the issues we see at Corinth. There was quite a bit of dysfunction at the church in Corinth at this time. And one of the things that they divided over, we talk about silly things that, that we might get upset about with other people, is they were breaking apart and dividing based on who had baptized them, saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. There's also other socioeconomic divisions that were going on at the Lord's Supper. And so whenever we focus on all these little things, it's going to tear us apart. It's going to cause divisions. And if we chose, choose to focus on the negative and our differences instead of the things we have in common, we'll see that that begins to tear us apart and tear us down. But the flip side of that is we're better whenever we focus on the things that we have in common. We're better when we build each other up instead of tear one another down. And so Jesus alludes to we've all got problems that we need to, to fix. And here we see one of the amazing things of the kingdom and the upside-down logic is that instead of talking behind my brother's back, I actually go and I help them fix their problems. We're here to help one another. I've got people in my life that can say, hey, you might want to redirect yourself here. 
I've noticed something in you recently that I think you might need to address. And so Jesus is going to show us the proper way to do that. And so now we'll talk about how we ought to properly judge, what proper judgment looks like. As we turn our attention back to Matthew chapter 7, we've established that it would be impossible to live a life without judging. And we're seeing that it would, it's necessary to restore someone who's been found in a fault. And that's require, a requirement of us if we are living in the church and living in His kingdom. We have an obligation to help our brother or sister. But how do we make sure that's received? We do that by proper judgment and a proper approach to our brother and sister. So, as we discussed before, if I follow the things above, being hypocritical, condemning others, judging people's intentions, evil speaking of one another, I'm going to be ineffective. Nobody's going to listen to me. That's not the right approach. But when we approach others, as Jesus shows us here, we create an atmosphere of love and one that strengthens our bonds instead of tearing us apart. And so he actually tells us here, he's like, hey, you have a problem too. And oh, by the way, the problem that you have is actually much worse than your brother. You've got something more serious going on. So what should you do? Well, the first thing is, is you've got to fix yourself before you try and fix other people. We have to straighten ourselves up. We have to get our act in order so that we can be a credible source, so that we can first have proper judgment and discernment of ourselves and then be able to help someone else. As he says this teaching in Luke chapter 6, he gives the example, can the blind lead the blind? If I've got something obstructing my eye, how can I see clearly to help my brother? And this is one of the things that Jesus tells the Pharisees. And back in Matthew chapter 23, verse 26, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. So I've got to work on myself before I can help other people. And that was Jesus' message to the Pharisees. And if we think about a cup, uh, what's more important to have clean? The inside or the outside? No, all my coffee mugs have something painted on the outside. It could be nice and pretty on the outside. It has my favorite coffee spot, and everybody knows what type of coffee I'm drinking. But if I let that coffee dry and I turn up and show you the inside, well, it's nasty in there. It's dirty. So what's more important to have clean? We've got to clean up the inside first. And Jesus has been talking about the heart all throughout his sermon. And I think this is another place where we have to evaluate our hearts and understand that I've got to work on my own heart before I can help other people. And once I start to fix the inside, the inside is going to follow suit. You know, we, if you've ever flown before, you've heard the instruction from the flight attendant, in the event of a cabin pressure change, please secure your own oxygen mask first before you secure the oxygen mask of others who need help. Basically, make sure and take care of yourself first, and then you can go help somebody else. Because otherwise, we both, might, we both might end up hurt or even dead. Okay? So I need to fix myself before I try and fix other people. And so as I approach someone else and, and their faults, I better get an eye exam to make sure that I'm seeing clearly. You know, when I had that splinter in my eye, I was in no shape to be helping anybody with basically anything. There was no task that I would have been able to help you with because of the discomfort I had in my eye. And we ought to view our own problems in the same way. And so as we look at what Jesus is talking about, the comparison of this log in your eye versus a speck is, I ought to view my own problems more serious than my brother's problems. And so that means that I come to others with humility, a good dose of humility. 
I've heard the saying that if you're pointing the finger at someone, remember that there's three fingers pointed back at you. We ought to have that attitude as we go to help other people with their sin. Luke chapter 18, verses 10 and 11 says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. There's a lot of great lessons that we can find from this story that Jesus tells us. And we see how the Pharisee was treating his brother, the tax collector, with contempt in his heart. And I think it's easy for us to do the same, same thing. Do we ever treat each other with contempt for the, other, the type of issues that we see? Do we maybe see ourselves having this same sort of attitude? Maybe not directly praying to God like that, but do I ever have the attitude of like, I come over to Jesus and I'm like, man, can you believe that guy? Can you believe what he did last week? He made a complete fool of himself. I'm glad I'm up here with you and not, not down here with him. I'm glad that I'm not a sinner. Look at the publican's response. Verse 13, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, the attitude of the publican is the attitude that we ought to have. And instead of looking down at my brother, I ought to come down to my brother, help him out, and we can both look to Jesus as our example. I have no right to be standing up there with Jesus, but I have a right, and it is my place to be here with my brother, helping my brother out. And in doing this, we bear one another's burdens. As we see in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness or meekness. Considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so, it's an expectation for us who are in the church to be able to help our brother or sister. To help restore someone who's found in a fault. And we go to them in a spirit of meekness, a spirit of gentleness, so that we can help them. So that we can both look to Jesus as our example. Both look to Him in the life that He lived. And the great thing about the church is that it's a group of people that is dedicated to being more like Christ and dedicated to helping one another. And as we come to each other in the spirit of meekness, remember, we ourselves could be tempted. We understand that I could be tempted with the same problems as my brother. If I was in his shoes, maybe I would have fallen to the same sin. And so when we come to others, we ought to come to each other with a helping attitude instead of one of condescension. The second way that we ought to have proper judgment is having proper discernment or being able to properly observe fruit. So we ought to make a distinction on what's being judged here. We show that we aren't to condemn a person or judge a person's heart, but we can distinguish between good and evil, between good and bad. I can judge whether an actions, someone's actions are right or wrong or good or evil without condemning a person. And this is what, what we call discernment. So later in the chapter, uh, Jesus talks about false prophets, and He gives us a little more insight in what proper judgment is. Verses 15 through 20, He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And there in verse 20, He says, Therefore, ooh, almost stepped off the stage here. 
Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So we understand this concept of fruit pretty well, right? I can look at a different tree or plant and see if that tree produces fruit. And it's pretty, pretty easy to tell the difference between a grapevine and a thorn bush, right? The thorn bush doesn't have anything good for me there, only hurt. And so we can look at someone's actions and see the fruit that it produces. And by simply observing that, we can discern whether that's good or bad according to God's standard. Some judgments are actually more difficult and some discernment is more difficult. I've heard uh, stories of if you're out in the wilderness, you've got to be careful of what kind of berries that you pick because some may upset your stomach while others actually can uh, sustain you and, and help you out. And so there's some judgments that are more difficult to make. And so it's, a, it's an expectation of us as Christians that we ought to grow and continually mature so that we understand the difference between good and evil. Hebrews 5 verse 14, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So through practice and study, we can determine and know what's good and evil. And we have to be able to search God's Word, find the wisdom that's in there, and then properly apply it so that we can do that. We understand this as, as parents, and this was certainly the case as I was growing up. Parents have good discernment on who their children should be hanging, hanging out with. And there were certain people where mom and dad are like, hey, you might not want to hang around them too much because we see the things that they're involved in. And that's not judging that other kid, but it's having good discernment and having good judgment in that way. We can also relate this to going certain places. If I go to certain places where it's more likely for me to end up in trouble or, or to commit sin, well, that's poor judgment on my part. That's poor discernment. I've heard that you're statistically less likely to actually end up in a confrontation if you're actually trained in how to fight. Now, that may be some bro science in that, but the, the concept remains that if I'm trained in something, I'm going to better understand it. And if I'm trained in something, I'm less likely to make a poor decision. So we must be able to distinguish between good and evil. We must be able to properly discern. And if we don't do this and we are indifferent in our judgment, ultimately it leads to sin and ultimately it will lead to falling away. And so it is, in fact, a requirement for us to have good judgment. Jesus tells the Pharisees this in John chapter 7, 24. He says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus is having a dispute about healing on the Sabbath. And they judge him at face value. They say, Don't, you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, fix your judgment. You're not judging right here. You're not judging righteously. You've not taken any time to look into this any further. You're taking it at face value. We have to use the wisdom that comes from the Scriptures in order to judge righteously. And we've got to seek out that wisdom and properly apply it so that we can properly discern and properly tell between good and bad fruit. And so as we finish looking at what proper judgment is, I think that as we talk about approaching other people, approaching my brother, we ought to look at it through the lens of the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 20, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We get this amazing, simple, amazing teaching from Jesus. 
And he says this basically summarizes the law and the prophets and how I ought to treat other people. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And we can see from the Sermon on the Mount that this summarizes a lot of what Jesus is, is talking about. And if we look at this in how we confront other people and how I confront my, my brother and how I talk to them about their faults, we're going to be much better off. I mean, first of all, we've got to think, well, how might I want to be approached if someone was approaching me? Better yet, maybe I put myself in their shoes and saying, if I was in this scenario, this is how I would want to be treated. And when we do that, we treat someone by not condemning them, not looking down on them, not coming to them as a hypocrite, but instead look, coming to them as someone who recognizes their own faults, coming in a spirit of meekness to help a brother or sister be more like Christ. So let us always remember the golden rule when it comes to this. And so we come to verse 6. Now, at first glance, this feels a little bit out of place. Verse 6, it says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. So there's been a lot of debate about what this verse means, and how much it relates to the previous verses as well. And by people that are a lot smarter than me have, have discussed and argued about what this means. And chapter 7 in general feels a little bit more sporadic as this feels maybe a little bit out of place. But what stuck out to me is I think there's a clear contrast that Jesus is drawing here. And the previous verses, he's talking about your brother. How can you say this to, to your brother? Help your brother out, help your brother remove the speck from his own eye. And so he, he uses the word brother three times, and then he turns and he talks about a different group of people, about dogs and swine. And he's using this analogy here, and I don't think he's meaning to be offensive, but I think he is trying to show the difference in the values that this group of people holds and the different, uh, different state that this person is in. So as we look at dogs and swine, we think of dogs as, as the cute, adorable pet that's nice and fluffy, well-fed and taken care of. Well, dogs to them were unclean because they were scavengers. They roamed around the area and they would eat off of dead bodies of other animals. And so they were unclean to Jews. And if you got too close to one, they might come and try and attack you. They were full of disease and they were malnourished. And so you've got this mangy animal that is actually unclean to the Jews. And we think of swine... As well, it was uh, against the law to eat pork for Jews. And so they were seen as unclean as well. So I think what Jesus is referring to is to a group of people that are separate from Israel or in the context of, of today, uh, outside of the church and outside of the kingdom. And we can talk about how much this has to do with judgment or, or not, uh, but I want to give you my reflections on this verse, and then you're welcome to study that out yourself and then come and tell me if, if there's something I missed or something I'm not seeing here. But as I thought about this passage, and specifically with recent events of going to the area-wide meeting and talking about uh, truth and, and current political issues of today, whether that be the LGBT movement or topics such as abortion or generally people who don't believe in God, how do we engage with them? How do we we, we talk with them. And as I think if we look at this verse, there's some wisdom to that. So if we think about what Jesus is saying here, we, we take a pearl, which is this precious 
uh, gem, I think. I don't know if it's technically classified as a gem, but it's something that's valuable to humans. It takes a lot of effort, uh, especially in this time, to actually go and find a pearl because you had to dive down and, and collect that. But to a pig, it means absolutely nothing. There is no value in it. It's not, it's not there for food. They don't care that it looks pretty. They, they don't even have a category for the value that it holds. And so as we look at people who are outside, who don't know God, who uh, don't know the value of the kingdom or actually oppose the gospel or oppose the kingdom, they have no uh, frame of reference for what value the kingdom holds or what value is found in Jesus Christ. And so we want to approach them the same way that we would approach a brother or sister. And it, it feels to me like Jesus maybe is, is reflecting on Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. It says, Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. And so we certainly can't approach people that are outside of the church in the same way that we, we would approach a brother because they've got a completely different value set. We have a different frame of reference. And this isn't that it excuses us from preaching the gospel to other people, but there are those who would turn and act hostile towards us if we try and correct them in the same way. They would turn and try and trample us verbally, probably. And there are some that if you continue telling them the gospel, who are going to oppose that. And there comes a time where we ought to use proper discernment and stop casting the holy things in front of them to see them trample on them and then ultimately come back and trample on us. And there comes a time where we ought to shake the dust off our feet, so to speak, as Jesus uh, talks about when he's telling his disciples. So as I thought about this, I thought, well, maybe before we truly share the gospel with someone, we wait until the right time because they don't understand the value that's found in the kingdom. But I continue to be kind to them. I continue to set an example for them of the great things that are found in Jesus Christ, the great things that are found in the kingdom. And maybe someday I find a time where they see some of that value. They see some of the shine on that pearl. And ultimately, I can preach the truth to them in love. And so it's not our job to condemn them. That's reserved for God. But we can still be an example. We can still be kind to those who are outside. And so as we conclude this morning, I want to encourage all of us to judge righteous judgment. And that means that we study the Scriptures and we apply those things so that we can have wisdom and properly discern between good and evil. Not a judgment that's hypocritical, one that's condemning, or one that gossips about others, but ha instead having the attitude of, I've got to fix myself before I try and fix anyone else. I've got to study and exercise my judgment so that I can know the differences between right and wrong and apply God's standard properly, and ultimately come to people with the golden rule in mind so that we can both look to Jesus in our faults and look to Him as our example. So as we close today, we've got a great community here and a great church family. And that means we help each other with our problems, and that's what Jesus has taught us this morning. And we look out for each other and offer correction when we see something, but sometimes those problems are invisible because we do a good job of keeping them hidden. And maybe it's hard for the bro my brother to see something I'm struggling with. And the first step sometimes is admitting that I have something that I need to get fixed and asking for help, asking for advice, and asking for prayers. And we're here for you this morning if you find yourself in that situation. We promise there'll be no improper judgment, but we'll come to you with loving, seeking to understand and point to Jesus 
as our Savior. Additionally, if you've not been baptized this morning, you are in danger. And we're telling you right now that, that you're in danger of the judgment of God if you've not been forgiven of your sins. We invite you to accept Jesus Christ, to be baptized into His death and be raised again to life again. If there's one uh, of either class or somebody who has a need of the church, we ask that you come as we stand and sing.